Hello from Barbara. Hello from Dawn. So Barbara, this month, obviously Valentine's has just been, it seems very relevant for us to discuss relationships this month. So how do you feel about that? I think that's a really great idea. I mean, it is a month that focuses on personal relationships, but I mean, relationships mm -hmm. actually cover four major categories, don't they? I mean, there's the personal relationships. We just talked about that. But not only Valentine's. I mean, personal relationships cover your parents and the relationships with your siblings, brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. your partner or spouse. Mm -hmm. And then there's those professional relationships with your boss or your manager or your colleagues. And also... Interesting enough, there's another category in the professional side called business relationships <clears throat> with suppliers and with clients. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, if you're the boss, with your staff. Sure. But you know, sometimes I think one of the biggest relationships that we forget about, Dawn, is that one with yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. You know, do you, do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? And often, I'm sure... You know, in your own coaching practice, and I know in mine, when you talk to some of your clients, one of the biggest issues with self-esteem is how you feel about yourself and how you do your own self-talk. Mm, definitely. It's a big, big subject, isn't it? Relationships um, is a huge subject. So <laughs> we've chosen a very big topic to talk about today. Yeah, we have. Um, and obviously, the relationship you have with yourself is the one to start with, I think, because, as you say, if you don't love and respect yourself, how can you expect anybody else to? But also, if you don't like and accept uh, yourself, you know, if you're the one that's really critical um, about your appearance, your voice, your body, etc., etc., um, then you're just setting yourself up to have negative relationships with other people as well, because the way we treat ourselves is the way we're kind of inviting other people to, to uh, treat us. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's not only the way you look or you sound, it's actually the way you truly feel about yourself. So if you don't feel that people are going to like you, of course, you're not going to feel that they're going to like you and they're not going to like you, are they? I mean, it's just that rolling ball of um, not positive self-talk. Mm, that's right. And it's a, an interesting statistic, isn't there? Something about we spend... 90,000 uh, thoughts every day worrying about what other people are thinking about us. And of course they're not. They're worried about what they're worrying about themselves, not thinking about you. So if we can free up that uh, negative thought process to something that's positive and calming and nurturing, then we're immediately on the right track for starting to feel a bit better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest things is, of course, if you can look at yourself and you can understand how you feel about yourself and you can change it to make yourself feel really positive about you, then think about the impact of that on the other three categories of relationships. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, if you're feeling good about yourself and you feel that, you know, I'd never say that we don't ever want to change something about ourselves. I'm sure we all do. But you know what I mean? If you're feeling really good mm. about yourself and you like who you are and you love who you are and your self-esteem is high, then yeah. imagine how you portray that to the people around you, the personal relationships, the professional and the business relationships you've got. Mm, exactly. I mean, you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Barbara, and it's a, a message of hope for anybody who does uh, struggle with uh, low self-esteem and 
um, feelings of negativity is that we can change uh, and it's all to do with our belief system so there is a message of hope there Absolutely, and it is to do with our belief systems. And obviously, you know, as coaches, we know that that comes from our past mm. and how we're how we're taught to think about ourselves in in mm. an often in an unconscious way, not even in a conscious way. Mm. So, the one thing that um, um, I'm often asked, Dawn, and I must admit, you know, we've always said to our listeners, please, could you let us know what questions you've got. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the questions that came in, which I think is a great one, when it talks to, when it when it when you talk about you, you know, how do you mm-hmm. feel about yourself? Mm-hmm. How would you improve your relationship with your mother, for example? Mm. <laughs> oh, that's a, a a can of worms for many people, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there there is obviously uh, a lot of things that you can do, but some of the top uh, tips, I suppose, and places to start would be if you have a negative relationship with your mother, either you um, you can't be heard by her or you haven't got the confidence to say what you want to say, then a great tool for that is using a different medium for communicating, so writing. Um, I know that you're a fan of journaling as well, but I would get my clients to embrace the power of writing letters either to themselves um, or to their parents. Of course, they never have to send these letters, but it's just being able to write everything down and be totally authentic because, you know, with our parents, we are always a child. It doesn't matter. You know, for myself, I'm a 50-year-old child when I go to my mother's house. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, so you, you, you do have to mind your P's and Q's and fit in, etc. But when you write a letter, it frees you up, I think, to be more honest about what it is that you want to say. Um, something else I always remind my clients of, um, and I think this is quite important, I, I very much embrace a, a Buddhist philosophy, and um, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, who is a great Buddhist uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk, said to me uh, when I went on his retreat that if you accept that your parents gave birth to you from a place of a hundred percent good intentions, then does that help you put into perspective the relationship you have with them now? Because we do have a tendency to blame people, and the first people we blame is our parents. But if we strip it right back to nobody gave birth to a child to have a horrible relationship, to squash their creativity, to destroy their self-esteem, etc. If we can start from that place, then there's hope for rebuilding the relationship. Um, once we've got that perspective in mind that our parents had us with the best of intentions, but things just got lost and wrong along the way. So writing letters, um, keeping a journal, or even, um, you know, a, a, I don't say a tape recording, but I'm showing my age here, but using a dictaphone or some sort of <laughs> recording advice, you know, sit in the car with a, a recording advice, uh, device and say what you want to say because quite often people don't say uh, things because they never had a voice when they were growing up or they didn't have the courage or they weren't being listened to. 
So that's one uh, tool. What, what about you, Barbara? What would you say to clients who are struggling well, with this issue? They, they, I mean, the, the writing um, tool, I think, is a fantastic one. And, and often I talk to people about putting yourself in their position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got a relationship with your mother, for example, and it's not going as well or she's saying something to you that, I don't know, just doesn't feel positive or you're not happy with, <clears throat> excuse me, or something's happening there, why don't you put yourself in her position mm-hmm. and write yourself a letter as though you're your mother? Yes. And I've, I've mm-hmm. done this with business relationships, you know, where somebody might come to me and say, um, I can't talk to my boss about this, but I really need to discuss it with them. Mm. And I often say to them, well, you know, obviously you go through the standard sort of coaching questions, why can't you, what's going wrong, what sort of relationship you've got, that sort of thing. But often I'll say to them, take yourself off to a quiet corner, grab a coffee, go to a table, you know, make sure there's no disturbances around you, and sit there, put yourself in their shoes, Mm. and write yourself a letter. Mm-hmm. But as though you were them. Yeah. Because that way, you often then start to understand a little bit more about what's going on in their life, why they might be doing this or saying this. Mm. And there's always two sides to the story, isn't there? And um, it's only by walking a mile in another man's shoes, as they say, absolutely, can we start to appreciate, um, which is why uh, Stephen Covey um, in his uh, book, writes about seek to understand before being understood. And I think that sums up what you've just said, really, doesn't it? It does. It does. The other thing is that um, there's this lovely quote from Mother Teresa, Mm. which is something that is really applicable and and really appropriate for, for this month of the year, and it's every February of every year. She said, the greatest science in the world in heaven and on earth, is love. And the Mm. other thing that we often forget about, I mean, you talked about, um, you know, feelings. We often forget that we we come to every relationship with a feeling of love. Now, whether that's going to be an all-encompassing physical relationship with your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, Mm. or it's going to be a relationship with a business colleague, your children, your parents, it doesn't matter. There's going to be a love associated to that. And, of course, often when relationships start to break down, don't you find that there's, we've allowed anger in? We've allowed mm-hmm. disappointment in? Mm-hmm. And if we can also, you know, go back to the, 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 the hint and the tip that we're sort of really talking about today and, and we go back to the writing, write down what's upset you. Write down what they're not doing or they are doing. Because sometimes it's not about what they are doing. It's about what you want them to do, but they're not doing. Mm. So if we, you know, if we sit down and we sort of take this relationship as it stands and we look at what's, what's happened since we started it, what's happened since that connection, what's happened since we allowed that love in, mm. what, do we, what, do, what can we do with it? I mean... I know from personal experience, Dawn, and I'm sure you do too from my divorce, that some relationships do break down Mm. and some relationships you can't find a resolution to. And yes, you know, you go into those relationships with love and Mm. people change and people do move on and we have to recognize that. 
But, and you know, as you were talking about, you know, you go back to your mother's and you're still that 50-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And I know that I go to, I speak to my mother mm-hmm. every week and I'm definitely that child. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, they'll never ever see you in any other light. I, I know that. But also, they've changed after I've left home and I've changed. Yeah. And it's how you hold those changes to be true to yourself and to themselves and keep that love in the relationship to keep it there. That, I think, is what Mother Teresa is talking about. Mm. And I think what you've just said is really important because most child-parent relationships are stuck in child-parent relationships. They forget that, as a child, I forget that my mother has changed the same as I have changed that. I might, I'm saying I'm no longer a child, she can't speak to me or treat me like that, but I'm forgetting she's now a much older woman as well mm-hmm. and has changed herself because I'm stuck replaying my old story of how she was when I was a child and we forget that all of our relationships change, mature and develop. Absolutely, absolutely and, and you know because the one that you started with first was that one with your mother and your father that's the one that's always going to have the biggest impact because that's the one you're going to see the biggest change in. I mean, I know from my experience, I went to boarding school at 11 um, and I had to fly to a different country to do that. Um, And it was a fabulous experience. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. But I also know that the first couple of holidays I had back at at home, Mm -hmm. my parents' rules were different to my boarding school rules yeah. And there were some clashes, and of course, there were clashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I emigrated across the other side of the world, and of course, went back. And and again, I know I've changed. Mm-hmm. But as you said, my mother will always be my mother. I'll always be her child. Yeah. And to be fair, your parents are always looking out to to make sure you get the best of your life. Yeah, and I think that's why Tignet Hans quote. Um, uh, and lesson that he, he taught us in the retreat really struck home with me because no parent gets a manual when they get a baby. They're all doing the best that they can. I think we wish we did have some sort of manual, um, but they come with the best of intentions. Um, and what you said about uh, writing a letter and thinking about it from their point of view, whether it's your boss, your relation, uh, your relationship with a partner or a parent, um, particularly if it's a parent, then bear in mind we learn most of our behaviours from our parents. Yeah. We also think, well, how was my parent treated as a child by their parent? And you can go right back through the ancestors and think, well, actually, it's not their fault, it wasn't my grandparents' fault, and so on. And it helps you understand the behavior as well as open the path to the forgiveness. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, we also have to remember that generations change. I mean, you know, my grandparents and my parents were obviously involved. My grandparents were very much involved in the war, the Second World mm-hmm. War. My, my, my parents on the periphery of it. Yeah. And, of course, you know, as much as... We think about, you know, we've read about it, we've studied it at school, we understand about it. We don't know what they went mm-hmm. through. We don't understand yeah. it. And, of course, that shaped them. Mm-hmm. 
You know, as our generation, we shaped ourselves, as the current coming generation is shaping itself. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that has an impact as well. So as as much as you're talking about going back to your parents, your grandparents, and through your ancestry, there's not only that to consider, but it's also the times that they were living in. So there's a lot of complication when it comes to relationships. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're uh, very complex. In fact, that's just reminded me of a quote I really like. Um, And that is that um, if you think of a child as a glass tumbler, um, by the time it grows up, some glass tumblers are covered in thumbprints. uh, And that's their parents and their teachers and everybody who's had an influence. And sometimes the, the, uh, the glass will crack and break. And that's when you're dealing then with a client who needs therapy and uh, a great deal of help. But nobody intends to shatter that tumbler. Um, But sometimes it happens. And that's why I think if if we had coaching in schools, uh, we would save a lot of people in therapy uh, in years to come and a, a lot of money. Because I think this is a big niche market that we can help teenagers with is dealing with what they're going through, the relationship with themselves, their relationships with authority, and their relationships with their parents. So all those coaches who work in that field, you know, I take my hat off to them because that is a really fundamental area. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because that whole thought process brings me out to one of the other questions we were asked, mm-hmm. um, which actually I think is is – in in my line of work and the way that I'm working with all my clients is fundamental Mm -hmm. to your relationships and that is how do I improve my own self-talk in a way that improves my self-esteem yes yeah now it's it's an interesting one because when you consider that I think the research we did on this dawn said something like a third of the UK live on their own Mm -hmm. yeah that's right And, you know, some of the articles we've seen talk about, um, to put it into perspective, almost two and a half million people aged sort of 45 to 64 live on their own. And the increase, that number has increased 50% since the 1990s. I mean, it's huge numbers. Shocking, yeah. It is. And I mean, you know... For them, that relationship on their, of, of, with themselves is key because they go home mm-hmm. from work or they work at home and they don't have anybody else there. And I mean, mm-hmm. if you've come through, you know, you were talking about uh, coaches who work with teenagers and who work with children. And mm-hmm. if you come through that and actually you come out of primary school or high school, um, junior school or secondary school, whatever it's called in, in wherever the listeners are that are listening to us, because I know they're all deemed to be different titles, whatever. Um, When you come out of that and you're sort of 16, 17, 18, 19, and you're coming into this big, bad world, and you come in with excitement, but how do you come into it? Do you come into it looking at yourself very positively or not? Mm. So, I mean, one of the questions that that I think was a fantastic question that we were asked is, when I'm talking to myself, how do, I, how do I turn that from a negative perspective to a positive perspective? How do I turn it around so that I'm always looking at 
the world, you know, the relationships I have with myself and everybody else around me, how do I look at them positively? Yeah, it's an interesting question and a good place to start. Um, and I think the first point is actually catching yourself that you do it because most people are doing it totally subconsciously. And yet, if they were listening to somebody else um, berate them all day long, aloud, you know, they just wouldn't tolerate it. They would move away from that person. But this this gremlin is in their head. So the first thing is they've become desensitized to it, so it's going on 24/7. So the first thing is catch yourself and really think about what. What are the negative messages that you're giving yourself that you would not put up with from somebody else? And again, that's where the journal comes in helpful, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talked about writing letters. Well, there's, you know, if, if you if you notice something, and I mean, a classic is often when somebody says, you know, do you fancy doing this? And your automatic response is no. Mm. Ask yourself, why, why did I say no? And I mean, it may be something you truly don't want to do. It may be a habit that you've developed, you know, because of those negative um, influences in the past, mm. that you automatically just say no. So mm. if you sat down, you know, and, and you decided that, take that one um, question you were asked and ask yourself, write to yourself, write an explanation to you. Why did I say no? What was the reason that I turned it down? Mm. Um, the second question that I always ask, and I always ask myself actually when I find myself saying no, is what would have happened if I'd said yes? Mm. So what are you saying no to and what would happen if you say yes? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it leads on to another uh, example I'm thinking about. I mean, uh, although I'm a coach now, my background is, is IT consulting um, in the financial world. And, and I can remember sitting at a client years ago. Um, I had a, there was a conversation going on about the software, how we were going to implement it and all that sort of wonderful stuff that I used to get involved in. Mm -hmm. And I can remember this question flittering around my mind that I wanted to ask. But I didn't know the client that well. I didn't know the personalities and I didn't quite know, you know, what would have happened if I'd asked this question. And the question didn't directly relate to the topic of conversation. But there's a reason this question came to my mind and I couldn't work it out. Uh, and obviously, I was involved in the conversation, so I sort of put it away. And I can remember getting on the train going home. I used to commute into London, getting on the train going home and sitting there thinking, what would have happened to that conversation if I had asked that question? Mm. And often that comes back to how you feel about yourself. You know, if, if I was completely self-confident and my self-esteem mm. had been huge, mm. I would have asked the question not worried about what that person would have would have thought. Yeah. And I actually went into the client's offices the next day, and I was sitting talking to the client project manager about something else, and I said, oh, can I just ask you a question that came to me in the meeting yesterday, but I didn't feel it was 100% appropriate to ask it. And mm -hmm. he said, please do, and I asked the question, and he looked at me and he said, I wish you had asked. He said, that is the question we needed to ask to get the answer we needed. Don't you think that's why most people in meetings say, there's no silly question. If you've got a question in your head, ask it. But how many people just don't have the courage to ask? Why? What are we frightened of? Well, I think it's... Being it, judged. Yes, and I think it's that perception of ourselves. Yeah. You know, it comes back to how do we talk to ourselves? 
It's our relationship mm-hmm. with ourselves, isn't it? Yes. And and it is all about being judged. You know, I mean, I always say to people, there's there's no such thing as a silly question. If it's a question you've got, you're looking for the answer. Ask mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But we don't. And we don't do it when we're in a formal business environment, and we definitely don't do it when we're with people that we've only just met. Mm-hmm which may be a social environment and it may be a business environment, it doesn't matter, but we definitely don't do it. And it's nothing to do with them, it's actually to do with us. Which is why I said at the beginning, you know, there's some statistic that says, you know, like 90,000 of the thoughts we had yesterday, we have today, and a lot of them are negative and we're worrying about what other people are thinking about us. But they're so busy having their 98,000 worrying thoughts that it leaves very little room for them to actually be worrying about you know, somebody else. So we're all um, suffering needlessly. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. It's a, but, I mean, growing so how would you, up. Now, how would you actually make that change? I mean, if we're thinking about the fact, and we know these figures from obviously mm. the, the study and the research we've done, mm. you know, if somebody's got that many thoughts going through their mind, and let's be fair, they're not always consciously thought thoughts. Sometimes no. a lot of them are, are unconscious thoughts and subconscious thoughts. But if you've got that, how do you become aware to stop yourself thinking them? How do you make that change? Mm. I guess some would say that's the multi-million dollar question. Absolutely. Um, but I think uh, the other thing is having some sort of awareness that that is what you're going to be listening to and start noticing what you notice. So for instance, I had a client who came up with a really quite innovative, very sweet way, and that is that um, she, every time she caught herself saying, you're too fat, you're not good enough, you're not attractive enough, um, needless to say, she was having romantic relationship issues. But like most issues, when you strip it back, it is to do with self-esteem, so it's the relationship you have with yourself. Even when a client comes to you and thinks, I've got a relationship problem with my mother or my partner or my boss or whatever. So what she did was, um, because she realized that she was always saying, you're too cross with the children, you're, you're, you're not um, very nice to your husband, um, you're overweight, uh, you're a rubbish cook, etc. Once we had identified that this was a large part of her uh, self-talk day in, day out, she said, I'm going to put a euro in my pocket, uh, so I'll start out with a, a pocket full of money on one side and just see at the end of the day how much it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gradually she's use the euro uh, pennies in her pocket to catch herself, be more aware, and then we were able to work on, well, how would she reframe that so the language was more, okay, she can't turn around and say, you know, one day I'm fat and the next day I'm slim and beautiful. It it doesn't work like that. But how could she reframe the language so it was less destructive and um, build on a more positive um, outlook and it, it took months and months but she had that technique uh, what what techniques have you come across if any Barbara well the the interesting one I mean if somebody you know is, is looking at um, to be fair anything that that has a negative approach to it um, I mean my my coaching practice my mentoring practice is obviously a spiritual one 
Hmm. So I often look at how people communicate with themselves and how they communicate with the universe. Yeah. And, you know, it comes down to all these things we've been talking about, you know, journaling. We, we've touched yeah. on, on journaling. Um, I think the journal is the most fantastic invention going mm. because it allows you to put everything you're feeling down on paper. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's factual. It doesn't matter whether it's emotional. It doesn't matter whether it's feeling. And I always say to people, you know, exactly the sort of thing we've been talking about today. Once you've put that down, so if you're really cross with somebody, for example, or you really can't get on with that person at work and you have to, put down what you're feeling, put down the reasons you can't do it, and then look at them. Yeah. What, you know, put yourself in their shoes and write down what they're feeling, what their reasons mm-hmm. are that they don't want to be talking to you. Mm-hmm. And it often comes back to how we feel about ourselves, not to anything they're doing or saying. Or, or expressing um, and when you start to identify what you do um, then you can start to to work out how to work with it you know, I remember a, a, a friends of ours years ago <clears throat> we, were, we went to York I was on an IT project somewhere in the UK and so was this friend of mine and his wife and daughter came to join him it was a long weekend um, and we were all we all met up at a particular hotel in York. Can't remember mm-hmm. why we chose York, but anyway, we did. Lovely place. A beautiful, beautiful place. I think none of us had ever been there because they were from Australia, and and um, obviously I lived in the south of the UK, but from uh, the southern hemisphere as well. So you know, hadn't been. None of us had been there. It was a long weekend, four or five days. Can't remember. And we were walking down one of the main streets in York, and. I was sitting talking, well, was he walking, talking to her, and he was talking to his daughter, and my ex-husband was there, and they were chatting away. And somebody walked towards us, and everybody looked up. And I said something, and I can remember my friend turning to me and saying, you look at everything so positively. And I hadn't actually become aware of that. I wasn't aware of that Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. She said, my first impression was, and she explained it to me, and it wasn't that positive. It wasn't negative, but it was sort of, you know, in between. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. And I said, because I love life. Yeah, and some people do and some people don't, which is why you've got the saying, your glass is half empty and your glass is always full. Exactly. And Andy Stewart said, you know, you always have to look at your glass being half full because it's positive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, whatever anybody is feeling, and I think this is why the journal is so powerful, Barbara, is because the feelings are true and valid for them. Yes. And that's one of the problems with relationships. We don't feel that we're being validated or we don't feel we're being listened to, which is obviously another key um, attribute to having a healthy relationship. But being um, validated, and when you're writing it all down, it doesn't matter what the other person's thoughts or situation is because theirs is true for them. Mm. Uh, it's, you, you're writing truthfully what you feel about that situation and then it helps you at a glance perhaps 
see if there's some trends with some relationships. You know, yeah. does this keep coming up? Because obviously we say the people in our lives are mirrors to what's going on in ourselves. So we're attracting a certain type of person over and over again. Maybe it's the universe's way of saying, you know, this is something that we need to deal with. Um, but yeah, listening and, and having feelings validated is key. Absolutely. And you know, it brings me on to thinking about something sort of related, but um, slightly different. In the, you know, we, you and I have co-authored a number of books. Mm-hmm. And in the one we, we co-authored called The Young Professional Woman, Breaking into yeah. the Business World and Succeeding, your chapter heading mm-hmm. actually is so pertinent to what we're talking about now. You were talking, your, your chapter heading is self-care is not selfish. Mm. And, I mean, okay, your chapter was very, was very specific, but yeah. I'm just thinking more generically. You know, looking after yourself, loving yourself, liking yourself, yeah. focusing on yourself to make sure that, you know, if, you, if you're feeling a little bit under the weather or something's made you cross or you're feeling very stressed, that mm. self-care is not selfish. Mm. No, that's right. And we don't do enough of that. No. Because I think traditionally, particularly for women, they were brought up to nurture other people. And, you know, that's why there were so many female martyrs, because they put themselves right at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. Um, and there is a change in the, the thought process, particularly with uh, our generation and the next younger female business entrepreneurs who are coming up through the ranks. You've got to put yourself first because if you don't look after yourself, if you don't love yourself and accept yourself first, then, you know, you can't really uh, reach your full potential and support others. I mean, take a mother, for instance. If she didn't look after herself, if she didn't take time for me, uh, if she didn't take time to eat well and whatever else, she would be in no fit state to either go out to work, look after the children, look yeah. after the house, have a good relationship with her partner, and so on. She'd be just too tired. So it's a bit like the airline hostesses when you get on a plane. What's, what do they say in the drill? Put your own oxygen mask on first before you try and help somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's why I just sort of looked at that and thought, gee, that heading is so appropriate to what we're talking about, because we don't think about ourselves at all. You know, you're right. Mm. Women specifically were brought up to to nurture others. Men also were brought up to look after others. Slightly Mm. different, but, you know, to, to focus on their being responsible for their families, being responsible for the environment they're in. You know, there was that level of responsibility for men. And and for the women, it's, you know, making sure that everybody's okay and making sure that everybody's happy. But who makes sure where we are? Who makes sure that, you know, in, in my relationships, if I look at them, who is the one person who's going to make sure that I'm okay? And if it's not me... It's got to be you, Barbara. If you can't take responsibility for yourself, you can't pass that, you can't absolve responsibility to somebody else, can you? No, and I mean, I remember um, years ago um, when I first moved into the coaching world, I was running a workshop for the Kent and Victor Chamber of Commerce. 
and there was a lovely lady there and she's we, we were doing coaching but we were actually doing time management how do you spend your own time which I know we're going to talk about you know in, in a future show but she said to me but if I'm focusing on me aren't I making myself selfish mm-hmm. and you know my response to her and it basically goes back to this this chapter that you know you wrote was mm-hmm. if you don't look after yourself who is going to look after you Who is going to focus on your life? Yeah. So if I don't have, you know, the the self-talk that improves and increases my self-esteem, who's going to help me do that? Yes, somebody can come to you and then come to me and, you know, we can help them through coaching and we can help them through mentoring Mm -hmm. and we can help them through training. But at the end of the day, the person who has to do that work has to be you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's no point in uh, being a martyr and, and complaining and being a victim. Uh, you can start at any time. This is the beauty of it. It doesn't matter about what happened in the past. You can change this. You can recognize that you have an issue with boundaries, um, with uh, re- repressed feelings, um, of all sorts of not, you know things that are damaging your self-esteem, but you can stop. And through the support of a therapist, a coach, a mentor, and so on, uh, even a lot of good self-help books, you can think, right, that's the past. What do I want for my future? What do I have to change? Because we can't change anybody else. Let's face it, we can't change our mother, our boss, whatever. Because uh, as we know, a change imposed is always going to be a change opposed. So who, do, who can we change? Ourselves. Where do we start? We start with our perception of things. So take some of the sting out of it. And when you know we're having a conversation and we come away and think, I'm really hurt, don't focus on the, the person, focus on the behavior or what they said and how you interpret it and, and, and responded and learn from that thing. Again, you know, putting it all down in a journal and so on, writing those angry letters, learning to forgive and moving on, letting go, and then how can I change to you know, receive information in a different way. How can I improve my boundaries so that I'm heard and I'm listened, but also see it from somebody else's point of view? These are all good communication skills, but of course, not everybody has taught them. No. And, you know, we talked about at the beginning of of, um, the show that there's four categories of relationships we all have. Yeah. In the material of, of, you know, what part of our life we're in. We all have these. But the underlying relationship that's going to make the rest successful is that one with yourself. And I know we're talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think we both truly believe that if we haven't got a positive and a good relationship with ourselves, mm-hmm. you can't really develop that positive or good relationship with, you know, on the personal front, with your friends, your partners, your, your parents, your siblings. Or... What about that professional relationship? I mean, you said, and I had to smile, um, you can't change your boss. Well, I knew what you meant, but you can change your boss because you can obviously work in that job and go to another one. But you can't change another person. You're right. Mm. And if we can change within ourselves, Mm. how will the change that we're making within ourselves impact that relationship we're we're having with that other person? Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got, you, a, I've yeah, got a lovely example of this where, okay. you know, I've always looked up to somebody. Mm-hmm. 
And a few years ago, I know you know the details behind this, but a few years ago I decided that I had to be true to myself. Mm-hmm. And that led to my divorce and it led to me moving again and it led to me finding new relationships and you know, losing some friends and making some new friends and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But in becoming true to myself, I've had to realize as well that I've lost some business relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I did... I was worried about it. I didn't like it. I mean, we don't, do we? Suddenly people we used to like don't like us anymore. Yeah, yeah. But actually when you are looking at your life and you're looking at who you are and you're you're looking at raising your own self-esteem, we also have to recognize that side is going to happen as well. Mm -hmm. That there are people who, I've got the words take advantage of us come to mind, and maybe they do. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's us who let that happen. Yeah. Um, and when we start to recognize that, are those the right sort of people you want in your life? And it was mm. you talking about change your boss that made me think of that. Mm. You know, do you change your friends? Do you change your colleagues? Do you change your boss? Mm-hmm. Well, like you say, you can. That is always an option. Mm. Um, you know, if you feel that you can't change or won't change for whatever reason, then obviously the dynamics of the relationship won't change and maybe, you know, you will just have to remove yourself from the the, the environment and the situation. But when you find that, uh, what you find when you've changed yourself um, and changed your attitude and your perception and how you internalize the information that you've been given, mm. then the response that you get from other people starts to change. and. You, you'll have heard it as a, a, a coach and a mentor. People will say, oh, that relationship's a lot better now. Um, because they automatically think the other person has changed, but they haven't. You've started changing the way you interpret that information. Therefore, you give a different energy and response back to them, and they respond differently to you. It's a, it's a, it's a vicious circle, for sure. You know, it's a, It can be a spiral downwards. Uh, but the minute you stop and start to change, things will improve. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's interesting how we sometimes, again, this, this leads on to a question that I think we were asked, we sometimes feel that we're being bullied. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, again, it comes back to, you know, we've been talking about put yourself in that person's shoes, write them a letter, why do they bully you, why do they feel they have to, and is it something to do with the fact they've got no self-esteem about themselves, mm-hmm. and they're scared of yours? Yeah, well that's what they say, isn't it, that bullies have the lowest self-esteem and, and confidence, Yeah. that's what makes them aggressive, and I, I'm sure in another um, show we'll talk about the differences between aggression and assertion. Um, particularly for females, they often get confused. But mm. yeah, bullies have very low self-esteem. But it also comes back to the person who's being bullied. Uh, what boundaries do they have? Um, how much responsibility do they take, or are they in victim mode, which then attracts the bullies to, you know, uh, to be in the life in the first place? Absolutely, Absolutely. So, it's, you know, this this whole area of relationships is, is as we said right at the beginning, Dawn, is huge. I know. But it's really interesting because there's no right or wrong. Nobody's got the answer. No. Um, the more work you do on yourself, um, 
the more positive you are, the more nurturing things that you do to rebuild your self-esteem if it's damaged, that will then give you confidence, which brings motivation, yeah. which also makes you a more fun and attractive person to be around, so you have better relationships with everybody else. And, you know, it brings me on to um, something you're doing, mm -hmm. which you may have just put to the back of your mind for the moment, but, you know, yeah. next month... Yeah. You've got this fantastic relationship building opportunity and I know, you know, you and I have talked about it, where you're going to take a group of people down the South Downs way for a walk as you talk yeah. event. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, I was looking at um, your website the other day, the Walk As You Talk website, mm -hmm. uh, and looking at this event and thinking, you know, it's not only about building relationships, you with mm -hmm. the person or people you select to go with, the other people who are going to be there that you're going to meet, new friends, new acquaintances, whatever. But also, I'm sure, you're going to give people time to be on their own and to build some relationships with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very important. I mean, certainly in my voluntary work, um, I've noticed that by taking them out of a therapy, coaching, office-type environment, then just walking sort of shoulder to shoulder, people have got the time to reflect, be grounded by being in nature, get back in touch with their inner voice, and it's very healing and cathartic. So yeah, um, a couple of days walking, they'll make new friends, uh, they'll have a sense of purpose and achieve something, which is obviously very good for confidence. Um, and there'll be the um, added bonus of getting fitter, uh, through walking and eating healthier because you're out of your own sometimes self-sabotaging environment. So all of those things, again, are very nurturing and, and build your self-esteem and just make you feel good. So, yeah, that, that's um, 20th of March for a couple of days, walking along the iconic South Down Way. Now, I know that's only like two, three weeks away, and I've, mm. you've got others coming up, haven't you? So it's not like yeah. and they're all going to be around about uh, the same sort of thing, you know, um, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It's all about um, fitness, um, physical and mental, uh, improving your self-esteem, getting a sense of uh, achievement. So, you know, I'd like to think maybe in years to come we'll do Mount Kilimanjaro, but in between I want to do the Santiago, where, um, perhaps this year uh, in the summer we're thinking about doing Hadrian's Wall. So there will be, because I, I, I think if you can put one foot in front of the other, you can walk. Um, and it's just a case of, you know, joining a group who are going to support you and talk along the way. You're going to have that sense of achievement um, that says you did something a little bit different to somebody else and like testimonials and thank you letters. They're good for building our morale and, and motivation. So, yeah, there will be, there will be lots of events and, and there's a... Um, a, a lovely little complimentary ebook that uh, people can download and in, enjoy now before they even join a walk. Okay, so that just to remind everybody, that's the walkasyoutalk.com website. Go have a look there. <clears throat> and obviously it's one way to c contact Dawn. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And, and she'll talk to you more about um, what that's about. But I mean, at the end of the day, the reason I brought it up, it's not specifically to promote your event, but I'm sure you were delighted that I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all about relationships. It's all about, yeah. you know, having time. I mean, you talked about it being the, the 22nd, 23rd of March, and I mean, I know that's only three weeks away. Yeah. Um, but it's all about finding that time 
to either be with somebody else that you want to give quality time to mm-hmm. or to be with yourself for for a few hours or a few minutes of a day yeah I mean you can you can do you can practice walking anytime but if you combine that with mindfulness and I know that you're also very keen uh, of the the, uh, the meditation practice you can do meditative walking just five minutes around your living room up and down your hill on your drive you don't have to go off on some trek because you know if you're in search of something it doesn't matter where you go to it's right under your nose anyway so you might as well stay at home um, and sort whatever the issue out is but mindfulness mindfulness walking just around your home is going to be beneficial to have that time with yourself is what's important yes absolutely and I think Dawn on that note as much as I'm mm-hmm. sure we have loads more to talk about because this is yeah we can't scratch the surface <laughs> and, and knowing us we could keep going for several more hours yeah um, sharing our thoughts ideas and um, experiences uh, on, on any topic we talk about um, I am aware that we're coming towards the end of the show now and I'd like to just sort of wrap up a little bit about what we talked about so people are you know can take something away from this and I think that's one of the things as coaches and mentors we do naturally sure. um, we sort of talked about relationships coming under four categories and, and both of us, I think, feel and agree that the relationship with yourself is the most important one of those categories. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that this idea of writing, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're writing in a journal or whether you're writing a letter, mm-hmm. put yourself in the other person's shoes and just write down what's happening in their life. You know, what are they feeling? What are they saying? What are they looking at? How do they see you? Whatever it is. But also the one you talked about with writing a letter to the other person, expressing your anger, expressing your frustration, expressing how you're feeling. Neither has to be sent. Neither has to be yeah. shared with anybody. Exactly. But, but it's a way of recognizing some of what's happening and, and maybe working out how you can deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you release that emotion rather than say some words that might be damaging because once they're out there, you can't take them back. So you can get down on paper what's really going on in your head and as you say you don't post it you can bury it you can have a ceremonial burning uh, but it's just releasing that uh, pent-up emotion and tension and um, having your feelings validated that's the important thing about writing yeah absolutely it's it's about it's about you um, Mm -hmm. and and it's about the relationship you have with somebody else Mm -hmm. I mean just to go off on a slight tangent, um, mm-hmm. I actually did that. You remember that we had a, a rescue cat called Smudge yeah. who sadly after 13 months with us um, lost his, his battle with um, mm-hmm. leukemia and, and yeah. passed away. But I can remember writing to him. Okay, yeah. So it's not yeah. always about people. It's about, you know, when we're talking relationships here, and maybe that's, mm-hmm. that, you know, under the personal relationships, that's one we didn't mm-hmm. really talk about a lot. But, you know, you have dogs, mm-hmm. I have cats. Yeah. Um, it's, it's all relationships we're talking about, isn't it? It's not just... Um, there are babies, after all, part of the family. <laughs> Big part um, of the family. All, all, the, all the pet lovers out there will certainly uh, empathise with what you've just said. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So I think it's it's whatever relationship we're talking about, whether it's a relationship that you have with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, a personal relationship you have with anybody or, you know, animals if you have them, your professional relationships, your business relationships. I don't think it matters what it is. Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking here about um, how you can work to really improve the relationship with you that you have with yourself that improves that relationship you have with everybody else. And the thing is, Barbara, to pick up on a word that you've just used, work. Now, nobody likes to associate relationships with work, but I think the most successful relationships have had a huge amount of work invested in them. And I wouldn't mind hazarding a guess that all the relationships, all the majority of relationships that have failed have been because they've been taken for granted, people have been too familiar, and it, it's just slipped through their fingers. But people, the more people you hear about successful relationships, they always seem to have invested a huge amount of themselves. So that means time, energy, effort in understanding the other person, appreciating the other person, having gratitude and respect for the other person. And I know Tony Robbins does a lot of work on this, and he talks about this state. You know, when you're in love, you've got the the rose-tinted love goggles on, but what happens five years later or ten years later when you can't stand each other and you're shouting? You know, in the early days of love, you can ask your person, your partner to go and put the garbage out or whatever, and there's no problem. But when you say it five or ten years later, they're saying, why are you nagging at me? Um, so what, what has happened in the interim? It's the state. And if you can retain that state of being in love or having a sense of gratitude or appreciation for whoever the person you're in that relationship with, whether it's work, personal, and so on, then that will help you. So the key word I think you said is work. People shouldn't take them for granted. They are hard work, but you reap what you sow, and it pays dividends. Yes. I would say to my husband, I would never have another relationship if ours broke down, because I've invested so much time training him to be exactly what I want. And that's the jokey part, because obviously I can't change him. But I've invested so much time and energy and commitment into this relationship, and that's why 20 well, we're in our 26th year now. It, I can honestly say it's better than ever. Yeah. With my first marriage, I didn't. But I've learned from that. Exactly, Dawn. And I think, you know, to some extent, the work you've done also relates to what you've done with you to be oh, able to absolutely. do that work with yes. your, your husband and with your, you know, uh, let's be fair, even our relationship yeah. involves work. Yeah. We don't yes. take each other for granted, you know, um, and I think that's that, that that's important. And you know, it's interesting because it leads me on to very nicely, thank you, into next month's show, end of March, 28th, yeah. at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, as as always. Yeah. Um, when we're going to be talking about environments, and one of the things we said um, when we discuss, when we discussed and described the environment show we wanted to talk about was no man is an island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously that relates to relationships as well as to an environment. Yeah. yeah. And as we gain a better understanding of the consequences of our actions, in language that you and I talk about in our karma, we have many roles to play on this globe we call home. So come and share with us next month, 
as I say, I think it's 28th of March at 7 a.m. UK time, and listen to us discussing how to make a positive impact on every single aspect of your environment. Mm. But before we sign off, we always have a competition, Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> and the first person who comes to buy the young professional woman is going to get the book free. Absolutely, just like they did last month. Just like they did last month. So go and buy the book on the website. To remind you, the website is holisticwholeness.com. Uh, you can contact Dawn and I through that or through Coach Radio International. And um, we look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure as usual. Absolutely. So thank you to all those who are listening and goodbye from Barbara. And goodbye from Dawn. Be good to yourself. <laughs>